Okay, so we now uh, resume our discussion, or our series really, on classic uh, essays and uh, and mamarim um, from uh, <laughs> in Jewish uh, philosophy, in Jewish thought. And um, I, I, I had planned to go back and make sure that we finished the, the last one that we had started. But then as time went on today and as things got uh, got hectic, I said, I'm going to put that aside for now. If, uh, if we didn't finish it yet, so waiting another couple of weeks is not going to uh, impede our understanding, I assume. And we're going to move on to a different piece, one which um, relates to, it actually lays out exactly what chinuch is. And chinuch is a term which is often talked about, uh, which we would commonly translate that as uh, education. But as we're going to see, the term chinuch and the idea behind it, not only vis-a-vis children, but even as far as ourselves is concerned, is something which is a, it, it's an important concept in general to understand. And it also lays down um, very uh, important principles and perspectives in terms of what the purpose of education is, what the purpose of school is, and what we are, uh, what we are, uh, what we are striving uh, for. And it also happens to be that at the beginning he quotes this week's parsha, so it's an added uh, benefit. Just one little line over there, but an added benefit uh, to that. Now, uh, what we've tried to do in the past in this series is to try and not read so much and focus our attention really on summarizing and talking outside what the author is trying to, uh, to share with us and the principles which he is trying to, uh, to convey. But um, the Chobas HaTamidim, this is a particular essay which we're going to uh, read, so it's written by the Piasetzner Rebbe. Piasetzner Rebbe is, uh, it was, it was killed in the Holocaust, it was killed in the Warsaw Ghetto, and there's a lot of history about what exactly happened, but his name is Klonimus Kalmish Shapiro. That was, uh, that was his name. And there was a whole miracle, maybe we'll talk about it at uh, some other point, a whole miracle about how they found uh, a number of his writings and um, how they managed to, uh, to get it to Israel. They managed to find some relatives of his. None of his children survived the war either and how they were able to track it down and how they were able to actually uh, publish it. So one of the things which, uh, in his, 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 his writing style is something which resonates with me very greatly, uh, very strongly, something which I identify with. He has this unique, very poetic, and very um, intimate style of writing and communicating in his writing. And besides being a Hasidic Rebbe, which he was, but his main focus, he considered his main focus was the yeshiva, which he had. And in his yeshiva, so he wrote a number of the works which we have from him were works which he wrote as sort of like guidelines for his Talmudim at different stages of their development. And he has like three, like a series of three, like a trilogy of, in this stage of your life, this is what you need to be focusing on, this is where your attention should be. Then at the next stage of your life, this is where your growth should be, this is where your attention should be. And then he had the uh, the highest uh, level of that. And in addition to all of his works on uh, on education and that which he uh, put together for his uh, for his students, so he also kept what they uh, what they usually uh, uh, characterize in English is a spiritual diary, or perhaps nowadays we would call it he used to journal. And he used to write down his thoughts, and they're seemingly like random things which occurred to him at different times about the different topics. Some of them are long and some of them are, are short, but it also gives, uh, and there's an English translation of it, at least one, which I have. 
which is also fascinating, just to see how, like a God of Yisrael, how they think about things and how they analyze things, and how truly invested he was in self-development, in developing himself. And even though he was an accomplished scholar, an accomplished mechanic, accomplished educator, an accomplished rebbe, but nonetheless, he never felt that he was he was done. He always saw himself as a work in progress, and he was always trying to uh, to grow and improve. And he was a real mavakish, uh, using our terminology in shul. He was somebody who really sought to uh, to seek out Hashem and to develop the closest relationship he could with Hashem. So here in this essay, which we're about to, to see, so this is where he lays down his perspective on what exactly he feels. Um, Chinuch is all about. Okay, so hopefully that uh, showed up on your screen there. Okay, great. So this is at the beginning of the Sefer. I'll hold it up in front of you. It's called, there's different uh, covers for it, but it's called Chovas HaTamidim. And this is the uh, the Sefer. It's stage one of the student development. But what we're reading is not what he's writing to his students, which is even more poetic than what we read. But what we're going to read is, as it says, Siach im hamelamdim v'avos so this is a talk. This is like every school year. You uh, you remember that there was a there was a, a um, um, uh, what do they call it uh, when the, a parent night an orientation. There was an or so this is the orientation talk that he would give not only to his rebellion but an orientation talk that he would give to the parents also as far as what the goal of the school is. So as if you're searching around for schools, you're trying to find the one which is best. So you want to hear what's the philosophy of the school? What do you expect from your Talmudim? How are you going to go ahead and go about uh, educating them and all of that? So this is his orientation speech. And we're not going to go through the whole thing because it's very long. He has a tendency to uh, to, uh, to to speak long. I don't know about speak long, but to write at that length. But we'll see this initial idea where he Put, he, he frames for us his understanding of Chinuch. Okay, so with that introduction, so let's go. So he says, Shlomo HaMelech Amar B'Mishle. So Shlomo HaMelech says in Mishle, the very famous passage which we all know, Chanoch L'Nar Ko, that you should educate a child according to his way, so that when the child is older, that's the Yazkin, Zakein, so that even when the child is older, that the child should not deviate and should not uh, turn away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So here, right away, the Pasuk tells us a very important thing, which he's going to elaborate on, but the, and, and this is something which uh, I, I think needs to be emphasized uh, you know, very strongly in the current Chinuch uh, system, and that is, is that Today is not the goal. The goal is not today. The goal is not this week. The goal is not this month or even this year. The goal is that a person should eventually should eventually become an adult, a functioning adult, and a functioning adult who's going to remain committed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Somebody who in their adult life is going to want to study Torah. Somebody who in their adult life is going to want to daven regularly. Somebody who in their adult life is going to want to do chesed. That's our goal. It's always important in a curriculum to know what your goal is, because unless you know what your goal is, then you don't know how to fill in the gap between where you are now and what your ultimate goal is going to be. So in order to know what we're going to do today, in this week, in this month, in this year, and you know, in this particular school, you have to know what you're, what, what you're striving for, what you're trying to, uh, to, to reach. 
So this, this is captured in this Pasuk in Mishle. And the, the, the Piyasetna says, Zehu Iker HaChinuch. And this is the primary goal of Chinuch. In other words, that our goal is not only to achieve quote-unquote success while the child is still a child, and the parents still have some sort of control over the child, because when you have a young child, it's very easy, not very easy, it's getting harder as time goes on, but it's relatively easy to go ahead and get them to do something which you want them to do. So the younger they are, the more likely you could get them to do what you want them to do. So a young child, you could force them to daven, you could force them to open up a chumash, you could force them to open a mishnais, you could force them to do all sorts of different things which you want because they don't really have much of an alternative. So the Piyat is emphasizing that this Pasuket, the Pasuket, Shomu HaMelech, in this Pasuket Mishle is telling us that the goal of education isn't simply to be able to compel the child today to do what you want them to do today. Yishmelo, because when they're young, they'll listen to you anyways, because they don't really have much of an alternative. V'yasek mitzvosav. And they'll go ahead and they'll do whatever you instruct them to do, whatever you command them to do, whatever you demand of them. As a young child, they don't have an alternative, and they're going to comply. That's not what chinuch is, though. Ella, the real goal of chinuch is not what you could get them to do today, but gam yigdal, v'hu bershuso. The real goal is when they are an adult. They're older, and they're no longer under your control. They're no longer somebody who feels that they're obligated to go ahead and listen to you, and they're independent enough to go ahead and make their own decisions. The goal is, is that when they finally mature, and they are now independent, making decisions for themselves, that's the test of our chinuch system, that's a test of our chinuch practices, as to whether or not we were successful when they become independent and they're no longer forced to do things because we're telling them, what are they doing at that point? That's what Shlomo HaMalch is telling us is the real goal, so that even when they're older, we want to make sure that they don't stop learning or they don't stop davening or they don't stop doing mitzvahs because in the event that that happens, that when they get older and independent and mature, they stop doing those things. So that means that we've fallen short of our goal. Because the goal is that they should be mevakshim, they should be independent learners and independent daveners, not meaning without a minion, but they should want on their own to go ahead and, and daven and not do so because they're forced, because somebody stronger than them, or bigger than them, or more authoritative than them, is telling them, you must, you must, you must, you must. And now he says even clearer. He says, Ki ha-chinuch lo Chinuch is not simply instructions, commands, um, uh, demands, which we, which we put on our children. Where we go ahead and we demand, that's I'm going to translate mitzav over here, where we demand of our child or our student, you have to go ahead and you have to do this. You have to daven, you have to put on your tzitzis, you have to, uh, you know, do chumash every week, you have to do this many psukim and this many mishnayas. And chinuch also is not habituating children into doing things mindlessly. As we're going to see, there's a value to developing good habits. 
It's a, it's a, it, there's a value to developing a habit to davening shachris every day, davening mincha every day, davening marv every day. If somebody doesn't have the, the habit of davening mincha, so you forget every other day, if not every day. So you end up, oh, I forgot to daven mincha today. I had in mind at 1230, but then I got busy and then I end up forgetting or marv, whatever's going to be. So habits are good. And he's going to talk about the, 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 the positive element of it. But chinuch is not simply the development of good habits. Where you go ahead and you habituate somebody to go ahead and do good deeds. You see sometimes in shul that there are parents who are trying to uh, educate their child to go ahead and give tzedakah. So rather than the adult giving the tzedakah, they pull the coin out of their pocket. They give it to their child. They send the child to the pushka. Say, here, you go put the, uh, the, uh, the, the money in the, in the pushka. So it's, it's a nice thing to do. But that's a, and it may even habituate. They may get in the habit of every time they go to shul with mommy, or every time they go to shul with uh, with Abba, that they give tzedakah. But you haven't necessarily trained them in a way where, when it's their money in their own pocket, that they'll have any inclination or any interest whatsoever in giving tzedakah at that time. That's a completely different uh, skill than taking mommy and daddy's money and putting that into the pushka because they gave it to you and they sent you to the pushka. So it's good habit. But it's not necessarily good chinuch. It's not bad chinuch. I mean, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> rule number one of education, rule number one of chinuch is do no harm. <laughs> so you certainly don't want to go ahead and do something which is counterproductive, which he's going to talk about. So it, it but at most, it's probably just part. Because yoser gadol, the yoser poel, minatzivu hergo, he says, even greater and more effective than instruction demands and habits, who ha chinuch? Chinuch is something which is more powerful, more potent, and more effective than any of those other things in terms of instructions and demands and uh, in developing and in, in trying to establish good habits for them. And he says, these two things in terms of demands or instructions, tzivui, the hergo, and developing good habits, Rak clay tashmishohem. He says these things, all they are, are tools in our chinuch arsenal, our chinuch uh, box that we could use to go ahead and ultimately uh, achieve the goal of chinuch. But it itself cannot be considered to be the goal of chinuch is just the establishment of good habits or just the establishment of of good instructions. Uh, I'll share with you, there's something which uh, continues to this day, and it sort of mystifies the, the rabbinic world, but there was, as a result of COVID, so before COVID, you know, people were in their habits of minion attendance. Both men and women, they went to minion, whatever their habit was for going to minion, so they were in their habit and they went. And for many people, one of the things which Rabbanim are talking about is that in this, this is across the spectrum of orthodoxy, but women would come to shul every Shabbos. They knew that you come, you show up by Kriya Torah, you're there, you hear Kriya Torah, you're Hav Torah, you're the Rabbi's Drasha, Musaf, Kiddush. And that was, you know, the women's side was full, was full and was bustling and people came. And then COVID hit, and then everybody's habit of going to show was broken. And mysteriously, for many, many women, obviously not all women, but for many, many women, again, from the mo- most right wing to the most left wing, many women just never came back. 
They just couldn't get themselves back in the habit of coming back. And sometimes it takes like a Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur or a Yortzite or something like that, a Yizker, to get them back into Shul. And they can't get themselves back into that weekly habit of, oh, it's Shabbos morning, I go to Shul. So that was something which we're, we're discovering now that there was a habit which was there, which was very valuable. But as soon as something disrupts that habit, if all you're relying upon is habit, then you'd have to restart the habit from scratch. And at our ages, for many people, it's difficult to restart that habit. And then they just have this, uh, this momentum of not going to shul, or they're accustomed now to not going to shul and do, uh, doing other things Shabbos morning. And habit was not something which was able to carry them through this particular challenge which the world faced in terms of COVID and in terms of uh, continuing to, uh, to go to shul. So that's why the Piazzetta says that instructions and demands and good habits, those are at best tools, but that's not, that cannot be the goal of Chinuch because, as we said, something disrupts what's going on, and then it's uh, suddenly it's gone. Successful Chinuch, a, a, a successful educator, successful Mechanech, uh, is going to use habit and is going to use instruction and demands in terms of uh, as a tool in uh, in achieving the goal of chinuch but as he said they're just tools you want to go ahead and instruct people what proper behavior is you want to go ahead and give them opportunities to develop good habits of what that uh, those practices are in order to educate them in the way of Hashem. But ultimately, the goal of Chinuch is, is that when we become adults, when we become independent and mature, we should continue to want to do those things on our own. No longer because somebody is forcing me to do so, that there's a voice over my shoulder or above my head, uh, you know, wagging his finger at me and saying, you must, you must, you must, you must, or something like that. But we want ultimately is that, the person is going to want to do it on their own. Now he explains, and this is where we'll get uh, close to this week's uh, parsha. Well, actually, two paragraphs. So he says, mm-hmm. So he says, so the Piyasetza says, in order to understand what the goal of chinuch is, as, as all of you know, that in Jewish thought, in Jewish philosophy, words are something which are not random. It's not we took a French word from here and an Italian word from here and a Greek word and a, a Latin word, and we have this composite, which we call English. But in Lush and Kodesh, every word has very specific meaning and connotation. And very often, the depth of an idea is captured, is contained within the word that we use for that idea. So if we have this word called chinuch, we have this world word, which we translate it as education, what exactly is the meaning of the word chinuch? So he says, Mefarish Rashi is out. So we're fortunate enough that this is a Tanakh word, it's a Chumash word, and the, the advantage of something being a Chumash word is you could get Rashi's pshat on, or explanation or translation of what that word is. So he says, Alapasuk. So this is talking about the people who are uh, scheduled to go out to war, but there are certain activities which they may have begun before the war started, which then exempts them from having to be in active battle. So one of those is someone who was bana by somebody who built a new house, v'lo chanacho. 
So what does it mean? So usually we would probably translate that as they didn't dedicate it as of yet. But over there, Rashi says, what does the word mean? What's the origin of that word? What's the meaning of the word? It means beginning. Now that's interesting to go ahead, because I bet if I were to have taken a poll a minute ago and say, giving you four choices in terms of what the translation of chinuch is, I don't think anybody would have chosen, even if I gave you a multiple choice of four options, I don't think anybody would have chosen the word haschala, meaning beginning. You would have thought that that was a joke, that I only came up with three good ideas. So I put three and I had to have four. So I threw in beginning. And that's what Rashi says. So what exactly does Rashi mean over here? When he says that the word chinuch means beginning, and how is that going to help us understand what exactly the goal of chinuch is? So he points out, Upashat, he says it's clear, You wouldn't say that the word chinuch, even though it can be translated, or even though it means beginning, we wouldn't use the word chinuch as a, uh, as a replacement, as a synonym for the word beginning every time you find the word beginning. It just wouldn't make any sense. Kimo, like we all know, what's the structure of the Pesach Seder? What's the structure? I shouldn't say that. What's the structure of Magid? The Magid section, the storytelling part of the Pesach Seder. So how do Chazal tell us what exactly is the structure? So the Gemara says that your Maschil Beginus you begin with the embarrassing things about Jewish history, and then you conclude with praise. Shomeris HaGemara, I'll say to Haggadah Bepesah. That's how Chazal say in the Gemara Mesachim how the structure of Magid is. And nobody would say over there that rather than using the term Masto Beginus, that you're going to begin with embarrassing parts of the Jewish history, nobody's going to say Mechanech Beginus. Nobody would use the term chinuch in that context because it wouldn't make any sense. Sanhedrin. We find a similar thing by Sanhedrin. When Sanhedrin would deliberate, certainly by any capital crime, so they would hear all of the evidence, all of the testimony, everything would be presented to the Dayanin. And then the Gemara says that the Shemaschilin Minatzad. Maschilin Minatzad means that if you, if you have 72 or 70 members of Sanhedrin, so when it comes time to deliberation, how do you decide who, who speaks first? Whoever has the loudest voice, whoever has the most authority, whoever has the most stars on his, uh, on his shoulder, how exactly do we decide who, who talks first? So the Gemara actually says that there was an interesting way that Sanhedrin addressed that issue, and that is, is that they were lined up, they were in a semicircle, and they were lined up in that semicircle according to greatness. I don't know who exactly decided who is greater and who is not. That's a a, a miracle in and of itself. You could have 70 leading rabbis and they could acknowledge where their seat is between one and 70. But ultimately what they did was they began the deliberation from the lowest, the the newest member, or the one who was least accomplished, that's Minatzad. And then they would work their way all the way forward to the most esteemed member of the Sanhedrin. But over there also, so the language of the Gemara is, maschilin minatzad, we begin from the side. Lo yomru, and nobody would say, mechanchin minatzad. Nobody would say that you could use a synonym for the word maschilin, and you could use the term mechanchin in its place. Because that wouldn't make any sense. 
But why not? Why doesn't it make any sense? Why can't if if the word chinuch means beginning, as Rashi said, so why can't you use them interchangeably? This is now where we get to this week's parsha. So, but he says avab parshas lechlacha. But if you look in this week's parsha, parshas lechlacha, mefarish Rashi lanu yoser. So Rashi explains a little bit more in terms of what's going on. Vizelishono. So here, if you remember, the first time that Avram Avinu is going to war, he went to war a number of times, but the first time he, he readied himself for war, so we talk, the Torah talks about his chanichav. So if you look at the word chanichav, so right away you see you have that same shorish of ches nun chaf, excuse me. You have the same shorish as the word chinuch. So Rashi, so Rashi there says, Shechincho lemitzus. Who were the soldiers that Avram Avinu took with him into war? So those are the ones that he trained in mitzvahs. Meaning, So Rashi there says that this is, this language of training them in mitzvahs, so that means it's it's the beginning of a person's entrance, when a person is first putting his, his, his toes in the water, as it were, okli laumnus, or a utensil, an, an, an inanimate object, the first time it's going to be used, you're, ready, you're readying it for use. Shu'asidlamoba, for it's, a, it's, it's a, what it's ultimately going to be used for. Uh, you know, it, it, it's sort of like the christening of a boat. Right, so the christening of a boat is where you finally say, "Okay, this is now the beginning of its journey as a boat, whatever that boat happens to be—the submarine, the warship, whatever is going to be." But there, there's a, there's a, a an occasion where the thing is now finally falling into place, and it's going to be used for a dedicated purpose. So he says. Then says Rashi, The same thing is going to be true: is that you're training the child. For their ultimate purpose, Chanukas Hamizbeach, when they dedicate the Mizbeach in the Beis Hamikdash, so they would do the same thing. What that meant was is that the, the Mizbeach is now built, and we're now going to begin, begin, that's the Haskalah, we begin to use it for its ultimate purpose, and Chanukas Habayis. And the same thing is true going back to the Pasuk by the, uh, the soldier who's going out to war, who's exempted from going to war. Chanukah Sabayas means that the house has already been built, but you haven't yet begun to use it for its designated purpose. So the term Chinuch doesn't only mean beginning, but it means the beginning of something on a long journey of what it's going to be. So it could be Chinuch for a child, meaning you're educating them now at the outset, for the long journey of what their life is going to be. You're dedicating the Mizbeach for its long journey of being used as a Mizbeach. There's the Chanukah Sabayis. We're talking in Kitzur by, by Minchamar. We're talking about they rededicated the Beis Hamikdash after they got rid of the Greeks. So the Beis Hamikdash had been defiled. It was unusable because it had become Tameh. So they needed to go ahead and they needed to rededicate it Rededicate it means we need to set it up again and we need to fix things and make whatever repairs need to be done in order to be able to get the, uh, the Beis Hamikdash back into functioning order. So the beginning of that function, that's what we call Chinuch. That's his definition. That's what the Piyasetza says. Based on Rashi, that is the definition of Chinuch, is the beginning of something's use 
for its long-term purpose. So he says, so now the PSS says, even when you say uh, a, a craftsman who's beginning a job, uh, you wouldn't say that this is the beginning of his work, right? Somebody who's already been trained as a, uh, as a jeweler or something like that. So when he shows up on Monday morning at nine o'clock, you're not saying that now, Monday morning at nine o'clock, this is your chinuch of this week's work. Because he's already trained. He already knows what he needs to do. That's something which is already behind him. If he's already a capable craftsman, he's already a capable jeweler, there's no reason you would say that he's going to chinuch again. He's not apprenticing again every time he shows up. The apprenticeship is to get himself to the point where he's now a certified, licensed, whatever, uh, you know, jeweler is going to be. And he says also, when you first lay the foundation for a house, so you you wouldn't use the term dedication of the house. You wouldn't use the term at that point, because at that point you don't even have a house. All you have is blocks of cement, which are in, in the ground. All you have is a foundation. But when do you use the term? Only when a person is coming to learn a trade, not when they're coming to practice their trade, when they're coming to learn the trade initially, what we would call an apprentice, that would be And when you begin to use the house, when you dedicate the house and those uh, ceremonies where they have those big ribbons and you have all of the CEOs and the C whatever O's and they have those big golden scissors and they cut the ribbon when they're going to go ahead and they're going to use it for the first time. So that's where you would say, no fel halashan chinuch. That's where the word chinuch would be appropriately used. So you have the raw materials, you have what you're going to be using, and now you're going to begin to use it properly. And he says, rashi. And he says, the truth is, if you pay attention to what Rashi said, you'll see that this is what Rashi actually meant from the very outset. And that is, Haschalas. Haschalas means, Shu Asid Lamodba. This is the beginning of what it is, of what it's going to be, of how it's going to be used. So we're not talking about the initial construction of the house. We're not talking about digging in the ground so that you could pour the foundation. That would not be considered to be chinuch. Chinuch is when you already have the house there, the building is already built, the uh, the boat is already uh, completed, the mizbech is already done, and now you're first beginning to use it, that's where the lashon of chinuch is going to be appropriate. It's lo al ha'umnes v'hamalacha, rak al And it's not only with regards to this craft or work, but it's also going to be with regards to a person. Okay. Now, um, Okay, so that is point number one, which he well, which 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 he makes. Then he says, "Yeah, one more paragraph till till he gets back to uh, to children." So he says, "Al hachshara asher nimtza bekorach, bekerav adam l'malacha zu ozu." So now he says more specifically, and this is what we were saying that hachshara uh, means um, the. Um, uh, when you here he's using the term it's a, it, it's the same shorish as the word kasher, but here we're going to use it not 
kasher in terms like uh, of a noun that a food is kosher, but here we're going to use it more like kasher to make something usable. So when you kasher something, you're taking something which has it has all of the raw ingredients to be usable, but in its current state, it's not usable. If you have a trafe pot, so in order to be so the pot is a pot. You're not going to change anything physically about the pot itself. All you change is, is that you're changing it from a state of non-usability because it's trafe. And now by kashering it, what you do is you now take all of the potential which is there, and now you're going to be able to use it to be able to cook kosher food. So al-hachshara, this preparation, this change, this um, um, use of its existence, ashenimtzebekoach, which in the moment is just there in the potential, beker of adam inside of a person, lemalacha zu ozu, for whatever task you're going to do, balachshara's habayis vakli, or whether or not you're readying, readying, or you're preparing a house or a utensil for this use or that use, use, in both, in all of these cases, you could use the term chinuch. As he's going to say in another line, that the process of chinuch is you take something from its potential state to its kinetic state. You're taking something which is there. If you have a computer, right? And, you know, some of you are, uh, are familiar with uh, computers, or you have a car, uh, either one. Between everybody here, hopefully computers or cars will cover everybody. So with your computer or your car, and most, most cars are computers now, so you have all sorts of potential which exists there under the hood or inside of the, uh, inside of the, uh, the console. But none of that is going to work unless you have a power source. So it doesn't matter how sophisticated the computer could potentially be. It doesn't matter how, you know, uh, you know, it could be Deep Blue, which is going to be able to beat, you know, chess uh, grandmasters in their game, which they've been uh, training to do all of their lives. If you don't plug it in, none of that's working. It, it just doesn't work. You can have the best car in the world. If you don't pour in a gallon of gas, the car's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter what you do. If you take out the battery, the car's not going anywhere. So he says, when you have a computer which is not plugged in, or you have a car which has never been filled up with gas, all you have is potential. You potentially have a good car. You potentially have a very fast car. You potentially have an outstanding computer. But until you get it up and running by plugging it in or pouring in the gas, you've actually got nothing. So he says, it's this If you want one word, which captures this idea of transforming something from its potential state to its actual state, to its kinetic state. So the word for that is chinuch. That's where the word chinuch is going to apply. V'nemra, in its use, it's said, or it's used, al where you're taking the potential um, uh, usability of a person or a utensil, and if I had the ability to go ahead and underline, so I would underline that particular line. What you're doing is, maybe we could just do that text. Oh, oh, a little bit. So what I'm doing is, I'm taking it from its potential to its, its actual usable state. Because if I don't do that, because if I don't go ahead and make that effort to use all of its different components, then, so then it's going to remain hidden. 
And we know that there are people who make a fortune with uh, like uh, TikTok things and Instagram things, teaching you tricks of how to use Excel and teaching you tricks how to use Windows and teaching you tricks how to use Word and all of these programs which we use. So we use very a very small amount of what's actually there, of the potential which is there. There's an enormous amount of potential in those things. But for most of us, we end up not using it all. And it just remains a useless feature of the computer or a useless feature of the program. Uh, because we don't know how to use it. We, never, we, we were never trained on how to, uh, to use it for that particular thing. And therefore, in order to make full use of something, so we have to extract it, and you need to train a person how to do this particular task. So you have a person who's a little bit creative, and you want them to be a jeweler. So they have tremendous... Uh, potential to be a jeweler, but you need to go ahead and you need to develop those skills which are innate. You need to help them figure out how to actually use them in a way which is going to be profitable, which is going to be a sought-after skill, which is their uh, their ability to create uh, 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 desirable jewelry. Or, so somebody gives you, you know, a, a, a state-of-the-art house, Everything is automated, everything is this and everything is that. And you don't know how to do any of that. You're old-fashioned. You grew up in uh, the, the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or the 80s. And you still, every time you walk into the room, you flip the switch on, you flip the switch off. You don't know that you can set it so, so that every time you walk in, it automatically turns on. It gets brighter when it gets dark out. It gets dimmer as it, uh, it, during when there's natural light outside. There's all sorts of things which you could do. But if you don't know any of those things, so you find yourself just flipping the switches on and off the same as you've always done. So all of that potential which is there it becomes worthless because you're not using it to its uh, to its fullest, right? It's uh, you know it's 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 a shame. I mean, it's they do it to make money. But when uh, 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 car salesmen go ahead and sell a top of the line car to some you know uh, elderly person who all they use the car for is you put it into drive, you drive, you go into reverse, and you got to go backwards, and then you go into park. And yet the car can do all of these different things now. It keeps you in your lane and it tells you when somebody's in your blind spot. There was a, a, a picture which, uh, which somebody said the difference between adult drivers and young drivers is how they back up. So all of us here, we back up by putting our hand on the seat next to us and we look over our shoulder to see if there's a car there. But if you grow up with backup cameras, they never look over their shoulder. They just look at the backup camera and they see what's there and that's how, that, that's how they back up. So... For, uh, you know, for some of us, we're set in our ways, and there's potential there, which we end up never tapping into. And you want to make sure that you use each room in the house for what it's designed for. And you want to make sure that all the utensils in the house are going to be used for their fullest. Okay. So now, with all of that translation of what exactly Chinuch is, I just want to start a little bit what he says over here in terms of how it applies to people. So now he says, So now that we know what the translation in the meaning of chinuch is, taking something from its potential state and actualizing it, figuring out how to use all of its components and getting full usage of it. So when we begin to apply that concept to the education of children, as so then the 
purpose, the goal of education is, is to raise what you're trying to do is you're trying to open up the nature and you're trying to help the child tap in to what they are wired for. What we're trying to do is you're trying to uh, uh, train the child to be able to use the different components of his or her personality. In other words, we're not trying to change anybody's personality. We're not trying to shape their personality. We're not trying to define their personality. What we're trying to do is we're trying to uncover and we're trying to give them access to the full usage and the full benefit of what exactly those traits are. Now he says, and the goal is, uligalosa. And this is an amazing idea. The goal is to reveal to the child who they are. Not make them into something which they're not. We're not trying to take them and fit them into a mold like they do in Sodom, also in this week's parsha, where if you're too tall, we'll cut off your uh, your extended limbs. And if you're too short, we'll, we'll stretch you out. And everybody's got to be exactly the same, the cookie, cut, cookie cutter mold. The Piazzetta was vehemently against, as we're going to see, was vehemently against that as being the goal of Chinuch that the real goal of Chinuch is to be able to introduce a person to themselves so that they should be able to access and utilize all the different parts of their personality towards Avodah Hashem, towards the service of Hashem. And sometimes people don't know what, what rests inside of them. You hear every once in a while about a person who's like incredibly artistic. You know, they, they were, uh, you know, they worked as a, a you know, a, a bank clerk for 50 years, they, they took money in, they gave money out, that's all they did for 50 years. They finally retire, they go to an art class for the first time, and all of a sudden they, they discover that they have this tremendous t- talent for art. They never knew that they had any talent for art whatsoever. But all of a sudden they discover this tremendous uh, talent that they have for art. So that's something which sadly existed inside of them from the time that they were born, and yet they were never exposed to it. It was never developed. And they never realized that it was a, that it was a part of who they are and something that they could utilize in their avodas Hashem. And the real goal of Chinuch is to take all of that potential and to be able to uh, uh, uncover it, expose it, and, uh, and learn to harness it in the best way possible for the child. And... Um, Okay, so I think we have to remember that this is where we are, but we're going to hold it over here after this first uh, sentence of this uh, of this uh, this paragraph. So we'll pick it up from here next week. So Hashem, what time are we are we scheduled for next week? Is it eight o'clock? No, eight uh, thirty. Uh, on Tuesdays it's seven. Thursdays eight thirty. Tuesday seven. So this is now going to be the, the winter schedule. So the winter schedule now is Tuesdays at seven. And Thursdays at 8.30, right? 8.30, right, exactly. Okay, beautiful. All right, everybody. All right, thank you, Rabbi. Thank you very much. Have a great night. All the best, and enjoy the warm weather, the warm November weather. Yeah.